Amen. Glory to God. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart and come into his courts with praise. And when I say that, what I'm meaning is I need to warm up before this, this comes. To us. So I need, to, I need to enter his gates with some thanksgiving in my heart. I am so thankful for the goodness, grace, and mercy of a great and loving God. You are so wonderful, Lord. Oh, how marvelous you are. You have provided us with so great a salvation, O oh God. By your hand, you have moved and made it possible for us to have eternal life, O oh God. And we are so thankful, so thankful, not only for that, but for every good and perfect gift that comes down from above, because you're a good, good Father. And we're thankful, Lord. We bless your name. We praise you, Lord. And I praise you for who you are. You are mighty. You are strong. You are well able to deliver. You are full of grace and mercy, rich in blessing, O God. You pour out blessing upon blessing upon those who are called by your name, Lord. And we just praise you and thank you. Thank you, Lord. Who is like you, O God? Who can compare to you? There is none like you. Hallelujah. You are God and God alone. Praise you. It is you who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land and all that is in them. Hallelujah. Oh, praise your name, Lord. Praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this time tonight here, O oh Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to share the word here with this people, this blessed people, O oh God. Let their hearts be stirred. Let your spirit rise up. Lead us in the ways of righteousness, O oh God. Teach us your ways, O oh Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory. Oh, hallelujah. We used to sing a chorus, I just can't thank him enough, and in the bridge of it was, it was right out of Ephesians. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. He has abounded toward us with all wisdom and prudence. And what? Made known to us the mystery of his will. The will of God is no mystery. He's made it known to us. The, yeah, he's made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, some things are still mysteries. I mean, every so often you hear somebody say, well, God moves in mysterious ways. Well, you know what? That isn't necessarily wrong. I mean, yes, he did tell Abraham, what sh shall I withhold from Abraham, that thing which I do? He's going to tell him what he's going to do. But sometimes he doesn't tell us everything. And one of the things that he doesn't tell us about is when he's going to return. Amen. Only God knows that, not even the Son. So some things are a mystery. There's nothing wrong with having a mystery. Paul said, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we'll be raised up in resurrection life. That's a, that's a revelation of a mystery. So praise the Lord. Praise God. Well, tonight I want to uh, share with you something that... Actually, I wrestled with this with God. God, I felt like Jacob <laughs> for a while. Am I supposed to do this? And, and at first I thought, no, this isn't really a, a topic. And he said, yes, you do, because there is someone who needs to hear it. There's someone who needs to hear it, either here or there. So we're going we're gonna to do that. But first, I do want to testify a little bit, as you know. 
I have this unusual shoe. But I want to tell you that God is moving. God is, is bringing about a healing. And what was really, you know, I, I had said month, a long time ago, I just see God speaking to me like he did to Ezekiel to prophesy over these bones in my foot. And so I started doing that. But the other day, I happened to come across, as I was looking in Ezekiel, if I can get my phone to cooperate, I've added it to the verses that I usually go over every morning. So back over in Ezekiel 37, verses 3 through 5, he says, And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. Now, for the past few weeks, I have been going over to Lynchburg Hospital and getting hyperbaric oxygen treatment. And so what's happening is breath is being shoved into these bones. <laughs> it may not be the way you would think it would come about, but it is, you know. And so that, you know, God... So God moves in mysterious ways. So there's somebody here, some means by which breath, oxygen, air is being pushed into my body and out into these bones. And by the way, the doctor I saw on Monday, he said, this is starting to look really good, which is, which is good, which is, uh, you know, that's what we want to hear. So glory to God. That's my praise report. I got to continue on that. It's uh, every day, Monday through Friday, for two hours in the chamber. But this light affliction shall also pass. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I give you glory and praise and honor you. I want to talk to you tonight about the covenant of love. The covenant of love. God's covenant of love toward us. Now, we know that when you get married, it's, it's not a contract. It's a covenant. You say some vows. Both parties have something to add to the covenant. Same was true with biblical covenants. Um, when God made his covenant with Abraham, God said to him, I'll make you a, a great nation, and you'll be the father of many peoples. But there was a part for Abraham to play in that, which was that fun thing called circumcision. In other words, there was, there was a part that Abraham had in this covenant that was to show it. Now, fortunately, now that we've come down through the ages, we don't have to have circumcision, but baptism is the form of our confirming our part of our covenant relationship with God. When we go through the waters of baptism, it can be a, a symbol just like circumcision was back in that time. But God has a great love for us. And unfortunately, when you start talking about the love of God, in this modern society and modern church context, sometimes love, when you talk about the love of God, it gets treated similarly to grace, the way grace has gotten treated. Kind of watered down, kind of not, you know, what it should be. 
Yeah, it's yeah. Doug says it's flaky. <laughs> and and people's understanding of the love of God is kind of that way too. It's well, you know, the love of God just love everybody, love everything. You know, everything's you know. Put up those signs down by the river. And all. That's great. You know what what the world needs now is love, and that's that's their attitude. That's the way they see it. If, you know, why can't we be friends? Why can't we all get along? Why can't we have that kind of love? But God's love is different. As a matter of fact, God's love is Him. God's love is Him. He is love. That's not an attribute of Him. It's who He is. It's the essence of Him. He is Love, And because he is love, everything that he does is a result or comes out of that fact that he is love. Creation. When God made, made this creation, he set man in it. He set man in the garden. It was a gift to man. Here you go. This place for you to live, this place for you to thrive, this place for you to to grow and expand, to be fruitful and multiply, all as a gift from God. The, the loving nature of God coming forth even in creation. And even when we've blown it, as humans do, right from the beginning, even when we have not held up our part of the bargain, he has remained faithful. He has remained steadfast. As a matter of fact, uh, if we let's go over to Exodus. I know I've been here before, but this is so important. Exodus chapter 34, and we're going to take a look at verses 5 through 7. You know, we talk about the character of God and who he is and all those kinds of things. It's nice. It, the interesting thing for, for me in these verses is these are right from his mouth, from his lips to our ears as to who he is. And he says here, as he was ready to speak to Moses upon the mountain, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, Moses, there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will, and that will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, everybody gets hung up on those last few lines about visiting the, uh, upon the fathers. But what that says is, ahead of that is, are all of the lovely attributes of God in his personality and his nature and who he is. He's merciful, he's compassionate, and all those kind of things. When we reject that, over and over and over again. That's what the last part's talking about. 
I'm not going to let the guilty go unpunished. When you don't receive the mercy, when you don't receive the grace, when you don't receive his loving kindness, then you put yourself in a position where you're a rebel. That's all you are. You're just a rebel. You're rebelling against God. And that puts you in whose camp? The king of all rebels. And so we all know that just as he says here, he's going to visit his wrath upon those who take that kind of position. Wrath, when you talk about wrath with God, it's not... It's not, I'm, I'm angry, I'm gritting my teeth, and I'm really mad that way. You know what it is? It's judgment. It's judgment. Yeah. It's, it's gone on this way, and I, this, is, this is something I'm just not going to put up with. I mean, you know, you as parents, when you discipline your kids, you don't, hopefully, you don't get real angry and that kind of thing. Sometimes you have to cool off. Melanie will attest to this. that she did something one time and I told her, I said, I'll not have you do that and you need to go into your room and wait for me because I needed a minute to not do it out of anger but to administer what really is justice. You did a violation and there is a penalty. Now, there was mercy as well you know, sometimes mercy triumphs over justice, as James says. But uh, God's loving kindness, that's, that is the essence of who he is. The Hebrew word for is it, and, is it and, and Brother Mark mentioned it when he was here, is hesed. We don't really have a good English translation for it. The closest thing that, we could, that you'll see him come up with is steadfast love, unchanging. Um, that's why I love the song that uh, was sung Sunday about he's not changing anytime soon. His love is, is unchanging. It's no matter what happens here, what happens with us, his love remains the same. He is steadfast in his love. And that begs the question of how do we respond to that steadfast love? And I believe God is looking for in his people, you can respond to his steadfast love by, certainly by, as he would go on and say further in Exodus, you know, keep my commands, do the things that are my statutes, my precepts, and all those kind of things. So obedience is a role to it. But beyond obedience... It's believing loyalty. Believing loyalty that stays steadfast with God. And a scripture that came to me, well, actually, here's a, actually, just after Exodus, over in Deuteronomy, when Moses was, talking to the children of Israel. He's, now remember, these, these folks are not the ones who crossed through the Red Sea. These folks are the children of those who crossed through the Red Sea. 
So they haven't seen, you know, necessarily all of the miracles or everything. So Moses, just before they go into the promised land, he's giving them an update. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is. A second law giving. I'm, I'm going to give you an update on what God is doing here. And oh, by the way, it had to be a little bit of a different update than it was when they were wandering in the wilderness because when they go into the promised land, they're not going to wander anymore. They're going to go in and inherit the land and they're going to be there and they're going to need to learn how to live there accordingly. And so in, in Deuteronomy 7, he makes this known to them. He says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He's laying it out for him. This is how you need to, this is the mindset you need to have as you go into this land. God is with you. He's your God. You're not going to have any other gods before you. Right after this, the, the, or just before this, I think, the Ten Commandments get laid down again. And you know that five of them relate to your relationship with God. And the last five relate to your relationship with men. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, your, and over here, and your neighbor as yourself. So these are relational commands on the, on the right-hand side of the tablets, if you want to look at it that way. And how you relate to God. On the, on the other side of the tablets. But he is a faithful God, and he keeps his covenant of steadfast love, even to a thousand generations. I mean, even over in uh, 1 Kings, when Solomon was dedicating the, t the temple, he declared, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Praise God. In Psalm 36, it says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 42, verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Praise the Lord. I was, I was blessed, Nick, when you recited Psalm 96 because I've, I've taken the advice of a, of a ministry that I follow who said, you ought to read five psalms every day. And actually he said, you ought to pray five psalms every day. And so I'm going through those, and I, I, passed, I passed 96. So when he said it, I'm going, oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, <laughs> Now I'm at 119. I'm going to be meditating there for a while. <laughs> so I, I'm enjoying it. You know, I, I, that's, that's what's so wonderful about the Word of God. It's so fresh. It's so fresh. Every time you go to read it, it's just, it's like, wow. I hadn't seen some of, the, some of these things before. And especially over in the 119th Psalm, which I'm, I'm just really enjoying. So that's a free plug. Enjoy the 119th Psalm. Take your time. Take your time. Let it soak in it. Let it ruminate. But here's the, here's the thing. This is, this is the crux or the, the focal point of what I wanted to bring forward. 
But life is tough. Life is tough because of the curse. Life is tough because of the way people are, their human nature, the way they treat each other, uh, and things of that nature. So there are difficult times, and it's really unfortunate that, that God gets blamed for them so many times, especially when you're talking about the love of God. Well, if God was so loving, why X, Y, Z? That's a lack of understanding, really, that's speaking there. They don't understand what the love of God really is. Act of God, hurricanes, really? But anyway, life can be very difficult. And in my reading, I came to one of the most joyful books in the Bible. Lamentations. Wow. That is, you start reading it and it's like, oh man. Oh, this is horrible. And, and, and indeed it was horrible. The people that are written about in the book of Lamentations are those who were left behind in Jerusalem after its destruction and all of the you know, valuable people or whatever had gotten taken off to Babylon. These were the leftovers. Maybe they were hiding. Maybe they found some place to hide and stayed out of the way of the Babylonians as they moved in and destroyed the temple and so forth. And now they're left with nothing because the Babylonians, like most other armies, if you're going in and conquer someplace, the last thing you want to have is anybody going back there and raising that back up. You know, they'd salt the ground. They'd do all kinds of things to make it virtually, you know, uninhabitable. And so you had a whole group of people who were there who had nothing. Now, some of this is the, re not some of us, the result of this is the fact that Judah, the, the people of Jerusalem, had turned away from God. They had turned away. And it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's, it's like the, the saying there that says, in the Bible, that says, nothing can pluck you out of his hand. And that's true, as long as you're wanting to stay in his hand. But nothing keeps you from walking out. And this is what has happened to Jerusalem. They walked out. And now... The enemy has come in and taken advantage of them. So I was reading all of this. Oh, it's terrible. They had nothing to eat. They started eating their children. It was like, oh, how bad can it be that you would resort to doing that? But it happened. But then in chapter 3, there's this one line that comes out. Actually, several lines that come out. And the writer, some people think this was written by Jeremiah, others aren't so sure, so that we don't get, that, that's neither here nor there. The writer says this in Lamentations 3, verse 21, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. 
because his compassions fail not. Remember Exodus 34? They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. Somebody, I'm saying that because this is the crux of what I felt the Lord wanted me to deliver. Somebody, that doesn't make any difference how hard a time, how difficult a time, where you've gone, how far away from God you've gotten, and how bad your life seems to be, there's still hope. There's still the opportunity. His mercies are new every morning. I remind myself of that every day when I, when I get up. This, this verse, these verses are on my mind. Actually, actually Nick, it was, it was a chorus that we used to sing. The steadfast love of the Lord never changes. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Great is thy faithfulness. Sing that with me. The steadfast love of the Lord never changes. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Great is thy faithfulness. That should drive believing loyalty. That should be a reason, if you have to have a reason. That should be something that's, that's settled in your soul. That great is his faithfulness. His steadfast love never changes. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning, every day. And we get to experiencing, experience them every day. Fresh new mercies every day. Goodness that comes down from the hand of God in blessings, in the promotions, in the raises, in all of the things that we talk about here. They're part of his steadfast love, and they're new every morning. Mercies that are new every morning. You might... You might be going through something that's tough, but don't lose your hope. This, this person did not lose their hope. I recall it to my mind. They were meditating. I recalled it to my mind. They'd forgotten about it maybe because of everything that had happened in Babylon before, but now it's coming back to them. Now it's coming back to them. And they want to return. It, basically, it's a, it is a desire to return to the Lord. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord. And so this was an opportunity for them. 
God's hesed is rooted in love, but not human merit or performance. He loves all people. He's not willing that any should perish. Nevertheless, he shows hesed to a subset. He's going to use the subset to bring other people outside of Abraham's family into God's family. We all understand that. We all get it. But this is how God shows his love for humanity. He decides to redeem them. He decides that there is no plan B. He decides he's going to stick to his original desire and carry on his redemptive plan just as he had before the foundation of the world. Believing loyalty on our part reflects God's hesed. That term usually translated steadfast love or loving loyalty in English Bibles. There is an implied loyalty element. Believing loyalty is our act of hesed toward God and toward the gospel of Christ. And we're going to stick with it.